The outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. The score stood four to two with but one inning more to play. And then when Cooney died at first and Barrows did the same, a pall-like silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go in deep despair. The rest clung to the hope which springs eternal in the human breast. They thought if only Casey could but get a whack at that, we'd put up even money now with Casey at the bat. But Flynn preceded Casey, as did also Jimmy Blake. The former was a hoodoo and the latter was a cake. So upon that stricken multitude, grim melancholy sat, for there seemed but little chance of Casey getting to the bat. But Flynn let drive a single, to the wonderment of all, and Blake, the much despised, tore the cover off the ball. And when the dust had lifted and men saw what had occurred, there was Jimmy safe at second and Flynn a hugging third. Then from five thousand throats and more there rose a lusty yell. It rumbled through the valley, it rattled in the dell. It pounded on the mountain and recoiled upon the flat, for Casey, mighty Casey, was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. There was pride in Casey's bearing and a smile lit Casey's face. And when, responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat, no stranger in the crowd could doubt twas Casey at the bat. Ten thousand eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. Five thousand tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. Then while the writhing pitcher ground the ball upon his hip, defiance flashed in Casey's eye, a sneer curled Casey's lip. And now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air, and Casey stood a-watching it in haughty grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded sped. That ain't my style, said Casey. Strike one, the umpire said. From the benches, black with people, there went up a muffled roar, like the beating of the storm waves on a stern and distant shore. Kill him! Kill the umpire! shouted someone on the stand, and it's likely they'd have killed him had not Casey raised his hand. With a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult. He bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the dun sphere flew, but Casey still ignored it. And the umpire said, strike two. Fraud, cried the maddened thousands, and Echo answered, fraud. But one scornful look from Casey and the audience was awed. They saw his face grow stern and cold. They saw his muscles strain. And they knew that Casey wouldn't let that ball go by again. The sneer is gone from Casey's lips. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence, his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go. And now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. <laughs> it's baseball! America's favorite pastime. And the World Series is nearly upon us, even though our Mariners, plagued with injuries, were eliminated, what, a month ago? Baseball is, nevertheless, in the air. And I know, I know, I know. 
What does that have to do with the scriptures? <laughs> Aren't we talking about the Acts of the Apostles? Hang in there with me. It's like this. Everybody knew that Casey would hit it out of the park. Casey knew Casey would hit it out of the park. He's the big gun. If he can't do it, nobody can do it, right? Instead, he whiffed it. <laughs> his arrogance, his sure knowledge that nobody could best him sent him packing. And that's exactly what happened to the high priest and his team in the 30s. Not the 1930s, the 30s. <laughs> they got three pitches to hit. They took the first pitch. They split the air too late for the fastball. The bat stayed on their shoulder. For a curve, one, two, three, they were punched out. What? You didn't know there was baseball in the Bible? Just not paying attention. Turn to Acts 5.14 and we'll join them for the pregame hype. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them in cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Everybody's talking about the new pitcher. Look at all he's done. He's mowing batters down. He's drawing crowds. Everybody's excited about him. Except the veteran hitters. <laughs> Nobody gets jealous like somebody who's had the fame and is real sure that they ought to continue having all of it. This is their game. Who does this upstart think he is? So they start with their hype. Just wait till we get to him. Then you'll see who the man is. Now remember, they'd been forced into an exhibition game already. He'd pitched really well, and they did whiff on that one, but come on, it wasn't a real game. So it didn't matter, right? You don't remember the exhibition game. <laughs> we just talked about it. It was all the fervor surrounding the healing of the lame man. That was the first healing surrounding the apostles that the priests had heard about. Well, the first public healing. You know, all that farm leave stuff that happened earlier, they just ignored that. They figured that didn't really matter. You know, come on up and play with the big boys and then we'll see what you can do. And now they are up here playing in the priest's ballpark. And those priests believed they were the only major league players. The only show in town. And you know that early game. It was just an exhibition. So let a mouth off a little. It's all part of the show. You know, no big deal. But now, now we're getting serious here. So the priests step up to the plate. Let's see how they react to the first pitch. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. It's a slider. Dropped right into the strike zone and they never saw it. They didn't know the apostles had been let out of prison by an angel and were out there preaching again. So it's kind of like a slider. With me here? Okay. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate and all the people of Israel. The senate of all the people of Israel. This is their home field advantage, you know. And sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the door guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. They never saw it. <laughs> they got caught looking. 
Strike one. But you know they should have hit it. <laughs> I know. They've never seen a pitch like this before. Nobody, nobody, nobody had ever seen a pitch like that before. And oh sure, some people had been protected while they were in prison, like Daniel and the lions then. But an angel getting them out and nobody sees it or even knows about it? But come on. They had seen this same amazing pitch at the exhibition game. And with all the other miracles happening, didn't they know God was involved? I think about it. What's the purpose of a miracle? To do what is impossible in the natural to prove the supernatural is involved. And they are perplexed. You're Jews, steeped in Old Testament theology. Come on, guys. As soon as you heard they weren't there, you should have said, uh-oh, I think God is in this. You should have connected on this one. It should have been a nice little single. But nothing doing. They stood a-watching in haughty grandeur there. Their arrogance would put the count against them in. Zero to one. Someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. <laughs> so they can afford a little Jewish charity? They're still sure, I should say, there's no real challenge here. Besides, maybe they're not quite sure who the hometown hero is anymore. <laughs> not quite sure for whom the crowd will cheer. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. What do you guys think you're doing here? What kind of pitch is this? You're making us look bad. And they think they're ready for another pitch. Come on, give me your best shot. Really? <laughs> Watch out, we're playing hardball here. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Leader and Savior. Leader and Savior. This is the council in the Senate. Don't they lead Israel? Wow. A fastball right over the plate. Straight heat here. Peter's throwing flame. You're not in charge. God is. The Father raised the Son from the grave after you killed Him and now He's the leader and the Savior and only through Him can we repent and be forgiven of our sins. You aren't necessary anymore. And not only do we say it, but the Holy Spirit does too. The Holy Spirit that we have and you don't because we're living right. <laughs> Way to go, disciples. 104 mile per hour heater. You think these guys can catch up to that pitch? When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. To quote umpire Jim Joyce, Strike! Love that guy. Come on, guys, pay attention. You got pretty much the same pitch in the exhibition game and other people have connected with it. Why can't you? I guess the truth hurts when you're not willing to admit your own fault. And these guys just weren't. Forgiveness of sins, they needed it. But did you know what Peter and the others said? Repentance precedes forgiveness. 
You don't get the forgiveness until you've done the repenting. To accept the good news that Jesus saves, you got to admit the bad news. You need saving. <laughs> but these big-time major league players were too good to be taught by anyone. They changed their swing for no one. Certainly not some minor league yokels like the disciples. So now it's 0-2. And this pitcher is about to deliver a divine curveball, a thing of beauty. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Gamaliel, one of their own. And what's he saying? Jesus was killed, but these men keep preaching in his name. That's not like what we've seen in the past. To say it another way, he's telling them, these look like legitimate pitches, fellows. We need to stay in the game for a while and see what happens. It might be that you are facing the ultimate major league player. And him? You want on your team. No. Ask for a trade and get on his team. <laughs> By the way, I said Gamaliel was one of them, but Luke tells us he's a Pharisee, not a Sadducee like the high priest. So he was not actually a part of the high priest clique, but he was so good, everyone knew he was a real ball player, so he was drafted onto a major league team. <laughs> At this time in the history of the church, there were a lot of undecideds in the council. I think a lot of them sign with Jesus as time goes on. They ask for a trade. And the Jews lose a lot of good players. The rest, uh, the rest decide against Jesus. But at the moment, some of them foul this pitch off. But not all of them. Not the high priest in his group. They pick up their third strike as they just watch it go by. So they took his advice. And when they had called to the apostles, they beat them and charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They just don't get it. <laughs> this curveball, this knee bender is so smooth, they don't even know they're out. They thought it was not in the strike zone at all. They still think they got another pitch coming. But the ump is back there punching them out. Later, in another game, they face Stephen, while Paul, Saul, is in the on-deck circle. Strikeout. Then they send Saul up to bat, and he gets acquired by Jesus. Strike out again. God lets them come to the plate time after time, but as we work our way through the book of Acts, we see that they never, ever get a hit. In fact, this is as close as they ever come to connecting with any pitch, and they're not even close. If you were paying attention, you might have said, wait a minute. Didn't we have three different pitchers? The angel with the apostles for support. The other apostles with Peter as their agent. 
and Gamaliel, right? Well, no. There was only one picture. I did describe that one picture as divine, didn't I? It was the same picture the whole time. The whole time, it was the Holy Spirit. The angel was doing his bidding. The apostles were speaking as he guided them. Gamaliel, even if he didn't know it, I like to think he eventually did, was prepared by the Holy Spirit for just this time. Peter and the others had warned them, the Holy Spirit is a witness to these things. Remember? But they couldn't get ahead. <laughs> well, the disciples, they are on the Holy Spirit's team after all, celebrate another victory. And they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They are glad to be in the game and on Jesus' team with the Holy Spirit. No matter the abuse the other team's players heap on them. And they keep in the game every day in the temple and in home Bible studies. And the priests, this should have been a home run derby for them. They had all the training and ability to hit every one of these pitches. But they were too filled with themselves to connect even once. Our disciples... They connect every time. In fact, let's, let's turn this around and see if they can go four for four. What if we envision the priest's bad actions as pitches with the disciples at bat with their responses? When the high priest pits them a nasty curveball by throwing them in prison, the public prison no less, they poke a solid single past the infielders by preaching away when the angel gets them out. When the council drags them in front and drags them front and center and comes straight after them with a fastball, accosting them with what was, after all, the truth, <laughs> they answer with a screaming line drive that nearly takes the head off the pitcher and make it all the way to third. The next time they're up, when the priests try to knuckleball them, wanting to kill them, sorry, I couldn't help that one, they calmly pop one over their heads as they simply watch the surprise defense by Gamaliel. Nice stuff. And when it looks like the priests are going to play straight with another fastball that instead turned out to be a bad slider, they beat them and tell them to stop preaching the good news. They lofted it for a second deck walk-off home run. Fly, fly away. Oh wait, that's later in the rapture. <laughs> okay, sorry, another terrible pun. <clears throat> the apostles hit for the cycle. And I think we can too. When people try to confine us so we can't spread the message, you can't talk about God in public spaces. No prayer in schools. And then God gets us free, gives us an invitation to speak. We can just keep doing what we were already doing, telling people about the resurrection and how it guarantees us eternal life. When they demand answers for the truth that we proclaim, we can give it to them. The direct truth. You're guilty of the death of Jesus. But not to worry. The Father raised him from the dead and he can give you repentance and forgiveness for the evil that lies within you. When they threaten us, even if it's not with our lives, we can calmly watch God rescue us from some completely unexpected source. It's amazing how often that happens. And when they pretend they're going to support us but instead beat us, even if it's only verbally, we can rejoice that we can be like Christ and that we are so valued by him that he lets us suffer for him. Isn't that great? After all, he gives us the Holy Spirit, doesn't he? 
And we can keep coming to church and doing our Bible studies and telling anyone who will listen the good news of Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the only living hope. We need to stand at the plate with the disciples. And we got a green light, so swing away. We will not strike out. We will connect. And how? We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Oh, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light, and somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. The angels are greatly rejoicing. The Holy Spirit hit one out. <laughs> Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for, for just some fun look at your scripture today. And the truth, the truth that even in the tough times, even in the tough times, it's amazing to see you work. Maybe it's especially amazing in the tough times. But wonder how you do things. Sometimes completely unexpected like Gamaliel. <laughs> I think the apostles were shocked to hear him defend them. And defend the truth of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Hmm. Sure hope he makes it to heaven. I'd like to meet <laughs> Thank you, Father. Help us as we go out, even in the difficult times, even when people throw us some kind of nasty bitches. Help us to stick to the message. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Sorry, that's the deal. Maybe somehow we can help people to understand. And some of them will get it. Some of them will hear the Gamaliels of the world and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Some of them will join us. And it'll be so exciting to see that new life. See the excitement of what can be. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.